welcome to the 8th Rising Tide Ocean podcast. This 4th of July weekend, with most of our beaches closed and fireworks canceled due to COVID-19, I can't help thinking how both tragic and cartoonish things have gotten. So, I figure who better to talk it over with than America's leading ocean cartoonist, Jim Toomey. If you're not familiar with Jim, he's the creator of Sherman's Lagoon, a daily cartoon strip that runs in hundreds of newspapers from sea to shining sea and around our blue world. So, from his waterfront home in Annapolis, Maryland, let's join Jim right after a few words from this walrus. I'm here with my friend Jim Toomey, who's a businessman, a bagpiper, a former uh, member of the board of Blue Frontier, but but probably best known as the uh, cartoonist of Sherman's Lagoon, which was... I believe syndicated by King's Feature. It's running some 300 papers in the U.S. and around the world. And uh, anyhow, Sherman is a is a hefty shark, and he's got a whole cast of uh, lagoon characters. and And how would Sherman be spending uh, the Fourth of July weekend during this COVID lockdown? Wow, Sherman quarantine Fourth of July. He well, so the beaches are loaded with people nevertheless, especially in Florida. So I think he'd probably be gravitating towards Florida to click off a few, uh, a few tourists down there. Right. Yeah. And I, I noticed you're, you're very judicious in your use of shark eats tourist uh, cartoon strips. You probably, it's your go-to an extremist, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is my, exactly. It's my, it's my fallback joke. Um, I used to do it all the time. And for a lot of reasons, I don't anymore. Um, people love it though. I mean, I, I get complaints from readers that I'm not doing enough shark eats, um, person jokes. Um, I, I don't do it, you know, for conservation reasons because it's, you know, comic strips are fiction, but, um, there's good fiction and bad fiction. And I think, uh, you know, perpetuating the, the, the image of sharks is, you know, sort of constantly making the ocean dangerous for us is, is a bad fiction that I that I I try to avoid. Nevertheless, in the interest of a deadline, I I throw ocean conservation away and I I, I do it anyway. Um, but it's also you know it's a lot of I did a lot of gags early early on that uh, were about that, and I'm kind of tired of it. So I'm I'm more into developing the character Sherman, the Great White Shark, who's you know kind of an kind of an antihero. He's kind of uh, he's he's a character. I think characters are more interesting if they have qualities that you don't expect. So, you know, a great white shark shouldn't be sensitive or shouldn't be worried about his weight or, you know, shouldn't be uh, worried about people's feelings and things like that. So that to me is, is an interesting character. Right. And, and you've said that at some levels, uh, many of your characters are people in uh, fish costumes. Right. Uh, I sort of got, Megan, who's uh, Sherman's wife, um, when I first met you and Valerie, your wife, in 2000, I noticed she was wearing a string of pearls, and I immediately noticed that Megan the shark also wears a string of pearls. Yeah, you, you know, trouble the, on the home front for in the home waters for what you cartoon. No, she's she's well aware she's represented in the strip by Megan. I, you know, I, I think Megan's the most put together character in the whole strip, frankly. I mean, she's, uh, she's, I guess, more true to her, um, to the image of a, of a great white shark being somebody with very keen sense and, uh, 
you know, doesn't suffer fools kindly kind of thing. So I like, I think she's my favorite character in the strip. Um, and she re represents my wife, so that makes sense. Um, the strip is very autobiographical, nevertheless. I, uh, they, they got married the same day that we got married, so I could wow. time it that way. I couldn't quite time the first child, but it's roughly, roughly the same. So um, there's a lot and, of- and the first know, shark pup. The, shark, the first and only shark pup for them, yeah. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of my life in the strip. Had you always been drawing? Yeah, I love drawing. Drawing was my favorite thing in the world. Um, it, you know, it's it's a kind of a discovery process. Drawing, you uh, you really get to know that thing very well when you when you draw it. So if you, you know, the the biologists of the 19th century, if they draw fish or birds or bugs or whatever, um, that was a very good exercise in just learning science because you you know you you get really deep into shapes and functions and um, things. And you have to ask yourself, what does this thing do before you can draw it properly, really? So it is a sort of a process of discovery. Mm. And you fooled me once. You, you had a picture that you claimed, <laughs> crayon picture of a kid and a shark tearing people apart, blood everywhere. You said that was your origin uh, to the arts, but apparently not. No, that's fake news. No, I, I reproduced that. I was, I did have a, an obsession with sharks um, when, I was, when I was a kid, that's for sure. And that's kind of what led to my comic strip. But no, I, I had to reproduce that. There's, sadly, there are no drawings or any art from my, from my early career. So if there were to be, say, in the Met one day, a retrospective of Jim Toomey, we'd probably have to start when he's in his late 20s. And how'd you, how'd you get it? So you syndicated, self-syndicated, you called up newspapers back when we, newspapers for our younger readers are like print versions of the internet, except factual. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was actually a pretty easy business to break into. There was, I mean, there aren't many industries where you can just buy one book that has all your clients in it. Right. So finding the clients is really the hardest part of any business. Um, and mine was just in a book. So the hard part was that uh, it wasn't on a database. So I actually had to sort of transcribe all these, you know, names and addresses into a, you know, a, a spreadsheet and, um, and then actually uh, mail out the comic strip. And, you know, I really didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't that familiar with, I didn't really work at a newspaper. So I wasn't familiar with what they were expecting on the, on the other end, how the, how high, um, how good the reproductions had to be and what kind of, you know, physical paper it had to be in on and so forth. So I actually, I lived in San Francisco at the time and um, I got a lot of really good advice from uh, this man named Stanley Arnold, who was actually uh, Gary Larson's uh, original comic strip editor at, at Chronicle Features Syndicate. At that time, I don't know of any other underwater uh, comic strips. Were you already like an ocean person or? drawn to the sea or how did you end or you just had an obsession with sharks well a little bit of an obsession with sharks but i was um yeah i was very fascinated with the ocean i i was a certified diver be at, at the age of 12 I, I actually lied about my age i think you had to be 13 but you know i couldn't produce an id at 12 or 13 anyway so they just kind of took my word for it um so i loved um i loved anything that had to do with the water so boating um, diving, um, fishing, things like that. 
um, the, my week at the beach with the family was, was really the highlight of my year. And, and um, where was that? Where were you going diving? Oh, we were just going to Delaware, the Delaware shore, Rehoboth beach. So it was just a, you know, ordinary, uh, beach with, uh, you know, pods of dolphins I've seen there. Pods of dolphins, occasionally a shark. I saw my first shark there when I was a kid. Um, a bigger shark, not a, not just a dogfish, but, uh, you know, a bigger shark. And, um, uh, you know, fishing, surf fishing was a lot of fun. Um, just wondering, you know, what would you would pull out of the, the water. So all that stuff was really formative for me. Um, and, you know, kind of my developing a, a curiosity about the ocean. So why didn't I become a marine biologist? I don't know. I was never a natural science guy. But you did, you did have a conservation ethics. I mean, uh, you sort of introduced a lot of, n never to the detriment of a good joke, but you've, you've done a lot of conservation work within Sherman and beyond. I mean, NOAA gave you a hero award in 2000. And I guess because there just aren't enough heroes, they gave you the same award in 2010. Um, yeah, Slim Pickens on the heroes, I guess. But, uh, yeah. And you, you know, I mean, I got to acknowledge this great in 2006, when I put together 50 ways to save the ocean, you agreed to uh, illustrate it and created what I call Finley the fish and Claudia the crab, who were kind right. of the characters. And, I, you know, when we'd go out after publication, I remember I was constantly, especially with students, but also UN officials, you know, I'd be talking about the solutions and they'd all be staring over my shoulder at whatever you were cartooning onto the screen. And oh, right. I remember that dog and pony show we did where I would be live drawing. And I think we determined that sharing the stage, there's a few things you don't share the stage with. These are acting roles. You don't share the stage with animals, children, or cartoonists. So that's, uh, that's something you should remember. Yes. I, I realize at one point I'm talking about endangered species like rockfish and everybody's laughing and I turn around and you've got like a fish with a guitar. Um, I learned that from you. And also, when I spoke to marine educators at the New York Aquarium one time, and I was the last speaker before the sea lion show. So I had <laughs> very brief that time. Yeah, never stand between the audience and the sea lion show. That's, that's, that's a bad mistake. <laughs> but um, now you've done a lot of, uh, as I say, a lot of sort of education snuck into the humor in your column. I've got one, one of your strips you gave me that's... Uh, Ernest the fish asking Sherman, what's a good use for shark skin? He's talking about sandpaper and shoes. And then he looks down and says, oh, you can wrap a shark in it. Right. You know, that was probably one of my very first, I guess, if you would call it a double meaning, something that had an, another layer of conservation to it. And that was, that was really one of my probably first few months of, of drawing a comic strip. Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we all try to bring a different audience to, to the conservation world. And um, uh, I think the audience I bring is, is very different from the audience that say watches Discovery Channel or the audience that attends a conservation um, you know, conference. And, you know, it's really a, a, a broad cross-section of, of people, of political interests, of, of ages and um, incomes and things like that. It's really the, the comic strip readers are, are, are really a broad cross-section of everybody. So, for me, I, I realized that I had a, kind of a unique um, uh, soapbox to, to, to work with. You know, I did a series on 
the the characters. I took them to the Mid Atlantic Ridge, you know, and I, in the in the comic strip, I I threw out there that it is actually the longest mountain range on the planet. It just happens to be underwater. And, you know, they went skiing and they did the typical ski trip stuff, you know, whatever that is. And so bringing them to different places or introducing new animals, um, a Yeti crab, or I did a whole series on the um, Dumbo, uh, uh, the Dumbo octopus, right? The, the census of Marine, the Marine life. census. What's census it called? Of marine life. You did. This is a Marine life. Right. And that was, that. that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I brought in a lot of really crazy animals that had just been discovered. And uh, like the Yeti crab, like the Dumbo octopus, like the vampire squid. And uh, that was great because those are really, you know, ready-made cartoons. You don't have to do a whole lot with those, those uh, characters to turn them into cartoons. I mean, if you oh, look at the Jumbo octopus, it's crazy. Right. I mean, to realize that there's this incredible variety of life in the ocean that that you get to exploit as cartoon characters. Yeah, uh, and, and, and God has done all the work. They're already cartoons. I don't really have to change them at all. <laughs> well, and, and this is what's nice with your strip and more recently animations, that balance of wonder and warning. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's both discovery and also the lighter side of the apocalypse. <laughs> and, Although, you know, with a comic strip, the rule, there are no, really no rules. So, um, you know, one... One very uh, valuable um, element you can put into your story, if you if you're really into trying to tell a broad variety of stories, is the element of magic. So, if let's say you were going to write a children's book or do a TV series or whatever, and you really wanted to like make anything happen, um, put a magical element in it. So, my magical element is um, the kahuna, right? So this right. sort of Easter Island style head. And, he, and the kahuna can make anything happen. He can turn them into humans. Um, he can send them to outer space or whatever. So for me, that sort of little device helps me um, turn them into anything I want. And, 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 and Jim, I I've, I've never told you this, but every time you turn them into humans, I find it very disturbing. <laughs> All right, well, that might make me do it more than actually. I'm just like drawing away thinking, oh, that Helvard's going to be disturbed with this one. <laughs> well, you've recently took your family on a two-year ocean fix where you sailed the Mediterranean. Tell us a little about that. Sure. Um, it's not so recent now. So we left um, in late, about this time, 2015. Uh, we went to Europe. We bought a 45-foot a, a catamaran, and we started on the coast of the Atlantic coast of France um, sailed it. Um, I've been sailing my whole life, so I'm pretty comfortable sailing. Um, and we sailed it down the Atlantic coast and then went through the Strait of Gibraltar and then all the way to the perimeter of the whole Mediterranean. And, and we being, being Valerie, your wife and your right. So we had, we had two children at the time, at the time, we still do have chil two children. At the time they were, they were 11 and 13. So they were just old enough to appreciate the, the experience, but not so old that pulling them out of school was going to be a, a big dramatic event. So they were sort of at the sweet spot in age. And that's really what drove the timing of the cruise. Um, so we did the whole perimeter of the med and we, you know, we just had some phenomenal experiences there. There was a, you know, a, a few times where, you know, for example, in, in Greece, we, um, we managed to arrive. There's an island called Delos and everybody has heard of Mykonos. It's a big tourist center, but Delos is about five miles away, and it's um, 
it's a national park and it's really accessed only by official ferries. And uh, it is kind of the Pompeii of ancient Greece. It's um, a very well preserved um, Greek um, port town. And um, we managed to get there between ferries. So the four, our family of four had the entire island of Delos by, to ourselves. So we just kind of wandered around this ancient Greek city. Um, and it was, you know, it was days like that over and over again, where we would find ourselves alone on this, in this place with um, nobody else around and phenomenal antiquities or, um, you know, um, a little taverna or, or whatever. So uh, Mediterranean was wonderful. Then we did a transatlantic, um, went out to Canary Island and then across to Barbados. That took three weeks and that was phenomenal. We saw lots of wildlife. We saw, um, we saw a fin whale on the way out to Canary between Gibraltar and Canary. I, I woke up or I was doing the morning watch and the sun was rising. Um, and I saw this enormous shape off to the side of the boat. It was bigger than the boat. Our boat is 45 feet long. And this thing was just, it looked like a submarine. And uh, then I saw a little fin come up. It was, it was a small fin, but big whale. And then finally the whole thing came out of the water. didn't breach but it sort of surfaced and came out of the water and I was like this is amazing and so we called everybody up on deck and the, the fin whale hung out with us for about 20 minutes and wow. went to the side it was in front it was in back and finally it just took off so we saw a lot of whales saw a lot of out in the middle of the ocean so it's 2800 miles across so even out 14 1500 miles there are seabirds flying around there are there's lots of life lots of, we saw lots of sperm whales we also saw lots of marine debris, um, uh, things that have washed off container ships, also things that have just been thrown off, jettisoned. And uh, so there's a lot of trash out there as well. So hopeful and problematic, which is kind of like life. And while you're like traveling the ancient seas of the Mediterranean and doing their sort of sea gypsy thing, you're also cartooning? Yeah, uh, I, I was. That was that was hard because cartooning, you know, the it wasn't so hard the delivering. It? Sorry. How did you technically? Oh, the, you know the technical. That's what everybody asked. The technical part wasn't that hard um, because we were coastal cruising almost the whole time, so I could just we had a cell phone and we could just I could just email the cartoons. For the transatlantic, I I knew that um, I just had to put more cartoons in the pipeline because there was no, there was nothing beyond, we have a satellite phone, but trying to transmit a batch of cartoons via satellite phone would have cost about a hundred thousand dollars. So <laughs> I had to, I had to get kind of ahead on, on that one. Um, but the, the hard part is finding the peace and quiet to actually write. And you're a writer as well, David. So you can probably relate to this. It's just, you know, you, you have to find a place that, that's, comfortable to you where you can just sit down and, and lose yourself for a few hours. Otherwise the creativity just, you know, it takes a while. So, and, and we're on the hard small boat. Did you find that space? Yeah. You know, I, oftentimes what I do is I send the family ashore. So I missed out on quite a few of these shore excursions where they'd go to a little town or whatever and wander around and I'd stay on the boat and write. So. Oh God, the pain of the, cartoon yeah. artist <laughs> right yeah it is it's a tough life 
I've gotten more into storytelling. I've, I've been doing a lot of writing. So I've, I've actually been writing a book about the, the two-year cruise. Two years oh, before the mast, you could name it. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's taken. taken. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Henry Dana. But far, yeah, far more epic story than what you would read with my two years before the mass. So I, I think it might be two years before the, the, you know, the rum bottle or something, maybe. People can, if they haven't caught up with your strip, you've got like an annual compilation books that go out. Yeah, I've got, uh, speaking of Amazon, you can, you can go there and look at that. Um, yeah, about once a year. It's the easiest book in the world to write because I just kind of sit down and, you know, I, I weed a year down to about 240 strips. So I have to kill about 100 lame ones. And, uh, and that's my book. It takes me about half a day. <laughs> well, which, which is a great example of, as an environmentalist, you're recycling. <laughs> right, exactly. Now that we're in this pandemic, uh, that we're confronting the other virus of American racism with Black Lives Matter movement, we're, we're on really in the heart of a climate emergency that hasn't been fully addressed. And, and um, you know, people are asking me if I'm optimistic or pessimistic. You're, what's, what's your take on the state of the ocean and, uh, and the predator species of which we're members? Well, I think, I think one thing we've learned from this three-month shutdown is how resilient nature is, right? I mean, you see it You've seen the headlines all over. You have polar bears wandering around downtown Norwegian villages. And, and uh, uh, so nature can bounce back really quickly. And I think, I think that's, that's true with the ocean as well. Um, and what it proves to me is that with a little bit of smart management, we can, we can, uh, we can bring it back pretty quickly. Um, some of it anyway. I mean, there's, there's a massively irreversible fossil fuel habit that, that is going to take a little bit more work, but some of the some of the smaller challenges, um, I think there's a win-win out there. In other words, um, marine sanctuaries, for example, um, produce more fishing in the long run than going out and fishing every fish you can. Right? They're fish factories. So there's a. I think and there's a general protect an area of the ocean completely from any extractive uses, right. fishing or mining or drilling. Exactly. And, you know, the concept is that animals um, are attached to their habitat and their ecosystem. And, and that holistically produces more nature and more offspring and more fish. And they are fish factories. Um, and like Sherman's uh, Lagoon, only actual. Exactly. Right. Actual. Um, although I'm, there's not a lot of reproducing going on in Sherman's Lagoon. My syndicate is, has put the kibbutz on, on new characters. So. Um, but, you know, I think there's a general confusion that um, sustainability means cutting back, but it really, it's, it's not that way at all. And I think that's a lesson we've learned during the shutdown is that we can, we can really bounce back really quickly and we can find, a, find a, an equilibrium that makes everybody happy, but certainly not business as usual before, before shutdown. Again, if people want to see your cartoons or learn more about your Sherman and his neighbors in the uh, lagoon, where do they go? Oh, to, you mean, well, it's shermanslagoon.com, but, or your local newspaper really is where you ought to go. And if they yes. don't have it, then tell your newspaper to get it, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah, we need, we need you know, at a time of historic 
crisis and tragedy, it would be nice to actually support some newspapers that uh, are based in the old principles of, you know, factuality and accuracy and good journalism. You know, in some ways, for generations, those newspapers were supported by ad revenue and ads were attracted in a large part by the cartoon pages. And so, in a way, you're kind of a font of uh, truth and uh, accuracy in America. I'm enabling it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're an enabler. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, but skipping that, Sherman, how are you spending your 4th of July weekend? I am going to the beach, that same beach I talked about when the same beach I went to as a boy. Um, at Delaware Shore, um, and staying away from crowds, really, just, we're renting a house, uh, we're going to be swimming in the ocean, and, and probably not seeing a whole lot of fireworks, so pretty, pretty mellow. I'm so jealous, I've, my, my biggest complaint, other than, of course, the mass disaster of it, uh, but personal complaint with this uh, lockdown is just getting dry rot. It's been so many months since I've been body surfing or diving. And, and hell, diving's the best social distancing you can do. I'll try cartooning. That's pretty good, too. <laughs> do you like cartoon sea creatures and want to save the ocean? Read 50 Ways to Save the Ocean and meet Claudia the Crab and Finley the Fish. Blue Frontier's David Helvarg and Sherman's Lagoon cartoonist Jim Toomey create some funny characters and fun actions you can take. Ask for 50 Ways to Save the Ocean at your local bookstore or order it online. Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast is a production of Blue Frontier with the support of Studio Cape May. Music is by Ethan Kenvarg. Tell your friends they can download us from Apple, Google, Spotify, or at bluefront.org. See you on the beach when it reopens. Remember, we can take the power in our well-scrubbed hands. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free. The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, tear, tear. Off in the salty ocean. Not to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.